The following sermon by Nelson Atwood was recorded at Noble Park Evangelical Baptist Church. For more information, please visit their website at www.noblebaptist.org.au That's www.noblebaptist.org.au Well, as uh, we've lost several loved ones from our congregation just recently, and for me, what was yesterday afternoon, I stood at the head of the hospital bed uh, around behind Helen's head. as She was surrounded by family, and she quietly and gently passed into the presence of Christ. In that moment, I felt very much led of the Lord to put aside the message that I had planned and prepared Uh, to bring for Sunday morning, and instead bring a message of what I hope will be comfort and encouragement from the Scriptures for those who are grieving. Beloved, we have, we rightly grieve the loss of loved ones, the passing away of loved ones, but we do not, we, we must not grieve as those who have no hope. We must grieve, grieve as those who have great hope. A hope that is founded not on wishful thinking, not on sentimental, emotional, pretty ideas that are more closer to fairy tales. We found our hope on the solid biblical truth of the gospel. We who believe in Christ have the hope beyond every other hope. Our hope is in Christ, who is God become flesh. Our hope is in Christ who took on himself the form of a bondservant and the likeness of mankind. Our hope is in Jesus Christ who died to set us free from death, who was buried to prove his death, to validate his teaching, his words, his promises. He was raised again with the hope that we have now of our own resurrection. He's raised to give us that hope. So, Forgive me if this is not the most uh, polished of sermons, which is completely normal for me, so you should uh, have no problem there. But I'd like to just walk us through a text in the First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. I hope and I pray that all that is said will bring comfort and encouragement for those who are grieving the loss of loved ones. I hope and I pray that everything that is shared from the Scriptures would glorify the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope and pray for hope and encouragement for those who are contemplating their own departure sooner or later. So turn in your Bibles and let's read together from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. And Paul is writing and he says in the Word of God, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Christ. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, 
with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. I want you to know, first of all, and I want us to be encouraged and comforted in our hope filled grieving. Grieving is not wrong. Christ, in fact, validated believers' grief for departed loved ones. Christ went to the tomb of his friend Lazarus, and there he grieved and wept over the loss of his friend Lazarus. Strikingly, the shortest verse in all the Bible, John 8, verse 35, Jesus wept. And I can't imagine what it must have been to stand there and see Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, truly God and truly man, with the power to raise the dead and heal sicknesses and cleanse leprosy and all of that. And he stood outside the tomb of his friend and he wept. And the scene must have been powerful because John records in the very next verse that the Jews were watching and they said, see how he loved him. There was love expressed in that grief, in that weeping. There's no mistaking that Jesus felt grief. It was for his friend, Lazarus. Never forget that just as Jesus is truly God, so also he is truly man. He felt hunger and tiredness and weakness, pain and sorrow, even grief over a loved one. Certainly we would add that he also grieved over the effects of sin to cause aging and decay and death and sorrow and sadness. But he grieved even as one who understood that Lazarus would rise in a, very, in a few minutes as he would make that great call. Yet, by his grieving, he subtly communicated to us that grief is not wrong or misplaced. It's right and it's true. But I want you to notice uh, Paul's opening words in verse 13. It says, but I, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Paul's aim and goal is to comfort and encourage those who have and are losing beloved lo beloved loved ones prior to Christ's return. Paul accomplishes his goal by bringing great gospel truth to bear on their sorrow, Christ's death and resurrection. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants us to know that grieving is not wrong. Be encouraged in your grief, believer. You're not sinning or displaying an absence of faith or hope in God. You are grieving which is true and right. But believer, I encourage you, grieve as those who have hope. Hope of seeing our believing loved ones again. Secondly, I want us to be encouraged and comforted by the fact that Christ died. Look at verse 14 with me. He says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep or are dead in Jesus. The word if, therefore, if we believe, is probably better translated for since we believe. Because it states a true fact, not a condition that may or may not be true. It's for since we believe that Jesus died, and so on. 
We know the great gospel message of the Bible. God is holy and just and righteous, absolutely separate from sin and sinners. God created us to glorify Him through obedience to Him and to His Word. And in so doing, we would know great joy and peace and fulfillment and purpose. But we've all sinned. We've all gone our own way. We've all done our own thing. We've failed to love and honor and obey God. And at the same time, we've experienced hopelessness and joylessness and anger and bitterness and selfishness. The Bible tells us in Romans 3.23 that for all have sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. And what that means is we've all sinned and failed to glorify God. And the punishment for our sin is death. The reality of physical death came in because of sin. And we're born spiritually dead. And if we die, phys- if we physically die, still spiritually dead, then we experience eternal death. The Bible says in Romans 2, verses 8 and 9, to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there is indignation and wrath and tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil. Or to put it more simply, in Romans 6.23, the Bible says the wages of sin are death. It's death. And you know, I have to say two scenes that just fill my mind. Uh, One of them, well, it's not so much a scene, it's just a circumstance, but I was on the phone talking with Helen a few weeks ago, and she'd uh, come out of one of her uh, difficult moments, and Noel gave the phone to her, and she was telling me with such a strong and cheerful and loud voice into the phone how much she loved the Lord Jesus and how much she trusted in Him and she just couldn't wait to be with Him. And the other scene is uh, for me yesterday, sitting in that room and watching as she passed into the presence of the Lord. She simply stopped breathing because she no longer had the strength to to breathe. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. You know, the Lord Jesus died. He died on a cross. And his, his body after that death in some ways would have looked very similar to Helen's after she passed. I don't want to be indelicate or insensitive. But you know, the, what struck me also was that Jesus died. But his death was not like hers. You see, Jesus died in the moment that he died. He lifted up his head. He pushed down the nails in his hands and feet. And with a great shout, he died. Victory. It's won. It's finished. It's done. The work was accomplished. But Helen died unable to take a breath again. And you know, death is something that we were not created for. We were created to live and know God. We were created to enjoy fellowship and relationship with God. But because of sin, because of that disobedience to God that's crept in and filled our lives, now there is death. We're born spiritually dead and cut off from God. And if we die physically before we are spiritually reborn, then we will know and eternal death. And we give thanks and we praise God this morning.
or believers, loved ones that we know that were indeed reborn spiritually, a new being born again, new spiritual life, new life in Christ. And so their departure wasn't the end. It was just a doorway through to the presence of Christ. But death was the wages, the payment of sin. But then, of course, the Bible gives us the great verses of good news. In Romans 5.8, But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In John 15 and verse 13, Jesus said to His disciples, Greater love has no one than this and to lay down His own life for His friends. And in John 3.16, the verse that we all know so well, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible tells us in Romans 4, 24 and 25 that Jesus our Lord was delivered up because of our offenses and raised because of our justification. Christ died the just and the righteous for the unjust and the unrighteous to pay the penalty for our sin. And God now calls every single one of us to repent, to turn away from sin and turn towards God in faith, trusting God that He will keep His promises and save us from the wrath, from His own wrath, because Jesus died. Believers in Christ need not fear death. Why? Because Jesus has died for us in our place. There's no more wrath of God waiting for us. We've been set free from sin. We're set free from God's anger. We're set free and we belong to Christ to walk with Him and follow Him all through this life. Then to die with peace and quietness, knowing that beyond death's doorway is eternity with Christ and fellow believers who have gone on ahead. Be encouraged, Christian. Take comfort, Christian. Our departed believing loved ones are safe because Jesus died. Thirdly, I want us to be encouraged and comforted that Christ has indeed risen again. Notice again in verse 14 what he says. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. The last text I mentioned, Romans 4, 24 and 25, is so key here because it describes the difference between two key points. It describes that Christ died because or for our offenses. In other words, He died to pay the penalty. But Christ was also raised for our justification. And that word means He was raised because of our being declared righteous or raised so that we could be declared righteous. Righteous. To be raised from death. Christ's death on our behalf had to be fully accepted. His payment was considered to be enough. In Rosiah 12, God's anger was turned away and He comforted us. Therefore, Christ, having no sin of His own, could rise again. His death was enough. He was fully accepted. He had no sin. Therefore, death had no hold on Him. So He could rise again. In Romans chapter 1, verse 4, the Bible says that His resurrection declared Him to be the Son of God. His being raised meant that anyone who claimed 
his death as the full payment for their sin could also be declared righteous. Imagine, as an illustration, I owe a great debt to MasterCard. I owe a hundred billion dollars. And Poovan Govender, being the kind and, and generous man that he is, paid my debt in full on my behalf. MasterCard is satisfied that the debt's paid. And all I have to do was claim his payment for my debt. And I do it. I no longer owe anything. I'm discharged from the debt. I'm free. Now, that's a, that's a bad illustration at the best. On short notice, there you go. But to return to a far better, a far more real spiritual truth, Christ's death paid my penalty for sin, and by faith in Christ, the righteous state of Christ is applied to me, and God considers me to be righteous, because Christ has removed all the guilt of sin, all the guilt of every disobedient look and thought, every guilt of every sin is completely washed away, and Christ's state of righteousness is imputed or applied to my account, and God sees that there is no sin remaining, or there's no sin left to be atoned for. It's probably a better way to say it. And he, and he sees Christ's righteousness applied to me and declares me righteous in His sight. Brothers and sisters in Christ who are grieving, the loss of loved ones who died believing in Christ, they were declared to be righteous in God's sight through their faith in God. Their sin was fully washed away. They died without having any debt for sin left to pay. They died debt-free. They've been declared by God to be righteous just as Christ is righteous. Be encouraged. Be comforted this morning. They're safe in Christ's arm. Their debt is paid. They're enjoying the presence of God. They're free from the penalty of sin because Christ took it. They're free from the power of sin because it's been broken. And they're now free from the presence of sin. You and I, as believers who are alive and remain, are free from the penalty of sin. And we're free from the power of sin because it's broken. And one day, just like our brothers and sisters who have gone on ahead, we will be free from the presence of sin. But there's more here. Would you notice Paul's logic? He's in verse 14, he says, If or since we believe, even so, God will bring with him those asleep in Jesus. His logic is this. Just as Christ died, and we died with him as we identify ourselves with Christ, so also, as Christ was raised from the dead, we are and we will be raised with him. We're raised, in a spiritual sense, to walk in newness of life the moment we believe in Jesus. But we will also be physically raised from the dead if we die physically before Christ returns. Those who die believing in Christ before his return will be raised from the dead. Their physical bodies reunited with their spiritual bodies at the moment, at that very moment, never to die again. Now, we read earlier, 1 Corinthians 15, verses uh, 20 to 23. So just take your Bibles and flip back over there a second. I want to read 
this one little passage again and unpack it because it explains the point really well. I believe, if I remember correctly, 1 Thessalonians was written before 1 Corinthians. So this was sort of a precursor to what he wrote here, a more fuller view, more fuller explanation. So 1 Corinthians 15, 20-23, the Bible says again, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all should be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Christ is risen from the dead. We saw it earlier in 1 Corinthians 15, how so many witnessed and testified to that reality. Christ is the first fruits. The idea there is the first sample of the harvest that's coming behind. And now he's saying, but by man's disobedience, by Adam's disobedience, death came into the world. Romans 5 explains that so well. And all who are in Adam, or in that man, meaning they're still in their sins, they're still disobeying God, they all die. But, by one man, that's Christ's obedience, resurrection came. And all who are in Christ, meaning that they believe in Christ, they have repented of sin, they all shall be made alive. The resurrection Christ is the first fruits, and we are the harvest to follow. So think of it like this. We're born in sin. We're born in Adam, in that sense. We're, we're born in sin. We live in sin. We live in disobedience. We're cut off from God. We're spiritually dead. But as we hear the gospel and we respond to the gospel message, we repent of sin, we turn to Christ, and we believe in Him, and we are in Christ. His death is our death. And His resurrection is our resurrection. And we experience new life in Christ as believers living in time and space. Now, but as we get older and it's happened, I mean, for, the church has been around for 2,000 years now, and generations, hundreds of generations have died. So does that mean they have now no hope because they're dead? No. The reality is, is that they've died. Their spirits have gone to be with God. Their body goes into the ground. And what the, Paul is saying here is, just as surely as Christ physically rose again, so those believers who have died in Christ will also be raised from the dead. And we who are alive and remain, as we'll see, will be caught up to be with Christ. So, point being, Christ is the first fruits. We're the harvest to follow. As he says in verse 14, if we believe, or since we believe, that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. And he goes on to explain it a bit more. Now, I just want to take a step back. The Thessalonian believers were afraid that those who had died were going to miss out on Christ's return in power and glory. And in their day, they believed in a matter of weeks and then months and then possibly only a few years. They, were, they saw it as imminent, happening any moment. I believe if you read the story in Acts chapter 1 when Christ is standing to glory, they're standing there looking up. And they're still looking up. And I think what they were doing is they were thinking He would come right back again. It would only be gone for a few seconds. 
Well, he's been gone for 2,000 years, but the promise stands firm that he's coming back. And these Thessalonian believers were afraid that those who had died were going to miss out on Christ's return in great power and glory. And Paul is assuring them that they would be raised from the dead by the power of God, just as they had been given new life in Christ the moment they believed. Now that's hope. That's a reason to hope. That's a reason to be encouraged, to be comforted. And just as Christ was raised, so also Grandpa Biggs, uh, my adopted grandfather in Canada, Helen and Phyllis, Mr. Tua, Mr. Pakea, Heather's mom and dad, there's so many that we know believers who have gone on before, when Christ returns, they will also rise again. So be encouraged because Christ is risen. And fourthly, be encouraged and comforted this morning because Christ is returning. Let's read again. Verses 14 and 15. He says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Let's read verse 16 as well. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. The Lord will descend. He will return. We can be encouraged and take great comfort because Christ is returning. Paul brings the great encouragement of Christ's sure return. Notice also that he brings it with divine authority for what he now reveals. Uh, he says, for this we say to you, verse 15, by the word of the Lord. He gives it by divine authority. It was a revelation that was given to him by Christ. Now, what you notice, there's four great truths he gives us in verses 16 and 17 that are worth just noticing. He's returning, first of all, in power and glory. Look what he says in verse 16 again. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ shall rise. He's returning with power and great glory, just like he promised. In Mark 13, 26 and 27, Jesus is speaking. And then he says, They will see the Son of Man, that's him, coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds, even the farthest part of earth to the farthest part of heaven. He will return in power and glory, visible to all. In Acts chapter 1, verses 9-11, I mentioned just a moment ago, while the disciples watched, Jesus was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. If Christ does not return, he has broken his promises. And the Bible says it's impossible for God to break his promises, for God to deny himself and his word. God can sooner cease to exist then break his promises. When Hebrew promised that he would return, it's absolutely sure. Notice also from the text, 
the manner of his return. In verse number 16, he says, with a great shout. And John, uh, Jesus said in John 5, verses 28 and 29, he says, do not marvel at this. For the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. A shout, perhaps, that will call those who are dead in Christ to rise from the dead just as he promised. Just as Jesus called with a loud voice, Lazarus Come forth, so he will, as he returns, there will be a great shout. And I believe what he's talking about is a great shout, and the dead in Christ will rise. Notice, secondly, he says it will be with the voice of an archangel. And thirdly, he says, with the trumpet call. Now, I grew up, I played trombone in the high school band. And we had trumpets that were right behind us, and they used to blast into our ears with great loud sounds, and it was sort of musical. It was very musical, actually. But biblically, uh, trumpets were not so much used for music, but rather to communicate. Kind of like the old army bugle caller as he played the bugle. He sounded different uh, calls to retreat, to advance, to turn, and so on, back in the 18th and 19th centuries. Well, the trumpets were used biblically to communicate messages. In 1 Samuel 13, verse 3, the Bible says that the trumpet calls heralded great events and great warnings. Christ's return is surely one of the greatest events of all history. In John chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, trumpet calls, sorry, not John, Joshua, Joshua, chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, trumpet calls were used to direct the army in battle. Trumpet calls were used in pageantry at religious festivals. In Exodus 19, verse 6, this is a great one. Trumpet calls were sounded and heard as the Lord God came down onto Mount Sinai at the giving of the Lord. And surely, Christ's return to rule and reign in his earthly kingdom equals or is so close to God's coming to give the Lord. In other words, the power and glory and the might of God coming down onto Mount Sinai was, was sounded with great trumpet blasts. And surely as Christ comes down and returns, it's the same kind of majestic, amazing scene. God's arrival finally at the end of the age is marked by trumpet calls. Christ's return is marked by a shout. It's marked by the voice of an angel. And it's marked by trumpet calls. And I want you to notice the second great truth here. The dead in Christ will rise first. Notice what it says in verse 16. And Paul writes and says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. In this text, Paul makes no mention of non-Christian dead rising. There's no mention of resurrection bodies or transformation. It does happen... But here, he simply states that the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, you got to remember, Paul's desire as he's writing this part of his letter to the Thessalonian church is to instill hope, to give comfort and encouragement. He's not writing primarily to unpack deep theological truth. He wants to encourage them. They're, they're worried, they're afraid that those who have died and gone on ahead will miss out on Christ's return. 
But his point here is that the dead in Christ will rise first. This great encouragement. This great hope. The dead who believe in Christ will rise. We will see them. We will be reunited with Christ and with those departed believers that we know and love. There will be a moment in which Helen will be raised. And if, if the Lord comes back before Noel parts, uh, departs, then he will be here and he'll be caught up to see. And he'll see Helen again. He'll be reunited with her. Never to be separated again. Reunited with her, but more importantly, reunited with Christ. The dead will rise first. Thirdly, the living in Christ will join the resurrected in clouds and Christ in the air. Notice what he says in verse 17. He says, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. He says, then, then we who are alive, meaning what comes next? We who are alive and remain, Paul saw Christ coming as in his lifetime. So he included himself in we, we who are alive and remain. We will be caught up, he says. The word is uh, Hagar Gitsomitha. I'm sorry for the bad pronunciation. Hapar Gitsomitha. It means to be seized hastily. It's like somebody running past and you reach out and you grab onto something and you seize it in a haste. It's something that's seized eagerly and snatched away. In Acts 8.39, the word isn't often mentioned in the Bible, in the New Testament, in Greek, but in Acts 8.39, when Peter, sorry, when Philip and the Ethiopian came up out of the water. The Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that he saw the eunuch no more. Caught him away. It's the exact same word. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 2 to 4, uh, Paul is describing experience. I believe it was him himself. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. It's the same word. Snatched up. Grabbed quickly. Seized up. Some words are same words used in a very similar context. We will be caught up, seized eagerly and quickly to meet those who have already been raised. And we will meet together the returning Lord in the air. Now, when he says, uh, we who are like, where, sorry, verse 17, um, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That word again, meet, is only used a few times in the New Testament. In Matthew 25 and verse 6, Jesus is telling a kingdom parable of wise and foolish maidens to go out to, to meet the bridegroom. It's the same word used in the same context. Obviously, Christ is the bridegroom. We are the bride. And they go out to meet, to, to come together. In extra-biblical Greek, in other words, Greek language outside of the biblical text, the word is used of going and meeting a dignitary and escorting them back. Now, as soon as I read that in my study notes, I thought of 2 Samuel 19. I just finished reading through 2 Samuel a week or two ago. And uh, David's return to Jerusalem after the Absalom rebellion. And the elders go out and they meet David and they escort him back across the river and to the city. Again, Paul does not mention our transformation here. He mentions it elsewhere, but his explanation is absolutely complete in its intention. Paul intends, he desires to give comfort and encouragement to those who are grieving the loss 
of believing loved ones. We will see them again. We have great hope this morning. We have great encouragement and comfort from the Scriptures because we know Christ has died for our sins and the sins of the believing loved ones who have departed. And so we have hope. Christ is raised. And so we who believe are declared righteous. And so we have hope. Christ is returning. We have great hope that we will see our beloved departed believing family and friends again. Christ is returning in power and great glory. Our King is coming back. And so we have hope. Christ is returning with a great shout, calling the dead to rise. And so we have hope of seeing them again. Christ is returning with a trumpet blast. The greatest event since the cross is about to occur. There, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords died on a cross with a great shout. And when He returns in power and glory, He will do so with a great shout, with a trumpet blast. Just like when God came down and rested on Mount Sinai and gave Moses the law, so Christ will come down with a trumpet blast and judge the nations. Christ is returning. The graves will open. The dead in Christ will rise. We who are alive and remain will be seized hastily and eagerly and together will meet Christ and return with Him and forever be with Him. That last statement there in verse 17. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. It describes our eternal state. And, and Paul skips over a whole bunch of things here. But the point he's trying to make, and you see it in verse 18 and verse 13. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. We don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. In other words, he wants you to grieve as those who have hope. And he wants us to comfort one another with the great gospel truth that Jesus died. Jesus rose again. Our sins can be forgiven. We can be declared righteous in Christ's sight. And Christ is returning. We will see loved ones who have gone on ahead. We'll know what it is to forever be with the Lord Jesus Christ. Our conquering King is coming. And it will not be long now. As you see what's going on in the world around us. I already see comments coming up, questions coming up on YouTube and other uh, social media outlets. Is this the end time? Is it, is it happening? Are we there? Is it almost back? And my answer is, I think so. I think Christ is coming back any moment. But I also know. I stop and think, you know, from the time that the first gospel statement was made to Eve outside the Garden of Eden until the time that Christ came was something close to 4,000 years it might be 2,000 more before Christ returns. It might be tomorrow. You might never see this video. He might be back before it airs tomorrow morning. But he's coming back soon. Notice Paul's final comment to us all. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. The words of gospel truth. Christ came. That's encouragement. Christ died. That's hope. Christ rose. We have a hope of rising again and Christ is returning. Brother and sister, you that are grieving the loss of loved ones, grieve in the hope that we have that this is not goodbye forever. It's more like, if you'll excuse the expression, the reference, it's like that Winnie the Pooh character, Tigger, 
who said, TTFN, ta-ta for now. In other words, he was saying, see you later. So long. See you soon. We could bid goodbye to, be to believing brothers and sisters who are passing away. Our goodbye is not goodbye forever. It's just so long for now. Paul gives us through the... Sorry. The Spirit inspired Paul to give us great encouragement and great hope. We will see our beloved ones who have passed on. We'll see them again. Encourage each other. Brother and sister in Christ, share these truths with each other to encourage and comfort one another. But you know, there's one final thing I want to leave as an application for all of us. It's very, very brief. The acronym A-L-I-V-E, ALIVE. What does it stand for? Always living in view of eternity. You see, the truth that we see here in front of us, it compels us to live in such a way. To live always in view of eternity. Live in faith in Christ. To live repenting of sin. Repentance is a lifelong exercise. If you flip your eyes across the page in, in my Bible, it's just across the other column, in 5 and verse 15, on down the end, listen to what it says. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always in the Lord. Pray without ceasing always before the Lord. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. That's exhortation based on the reality of Christ's soon return. On the reality that we've been forgiven of sin. Our conscience has been cleansed. We have a hope. A great hope because Christ is coming again. We live, brothers and sisters, always in view of eternity. We live comforting and encouraging one another with the great gospel truths. And we live making that gospel known to those who do not yet know it. Well, I hope and I pray with all my heart that that's been, this little time in God's Word's been an encouragement and a hope, uh, a comfort to you, especially if you're grieving the loss of loved ones. Let's pray. Loving Father, we thank You and we praise You for the great truth of the Gospel. That although You are holy and righteous and just, You are the omnipotent, omniscient, unchanging God, absolutely separate from sin and from sinners. And Father, even though we were born in sin, we live in sin, we love to sin, Father, You have seen our desperate condition, our need to be saved from the wrath of God against sin, against us. And You demonstrated that love for us by sending Christ to die on a cross, to pay the penalty he died, was buried, and he rose again. Father, we thank you that his resurrection shouts to the highest heavens, that his death was accepted, your anger was turned away, and now you comfort us. And Father, we thank you and we praise you that Christ is indeed returning. We have a great hope. Father, we will see loved ones again and rejoice with them and sing with them and praise the Lord together with them. Father, we thank you for the hope that we have because of the gospel. And we give thanks in Christ's precious name. Amen. And amen.
I'm going to read for our benediction First uh, Thessalonians 5, verse 23, the very next verse to where we stopped a few moments ago. And Paul writes and says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We hope and pray that God will bless you. Uh, just a reminder before I, I pack it up, uh, is Chloe will be here tonight on Zoom. Uh, so make sure you check in to that Zoom invite and join the, the, the meeting together and hear what Chloe's doing overseas and, uh, in Europe. So God bless you all. Have a great day. We'll see you soon.